Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from The Independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity and more. This week I'm very excited to be joined by Georgia Toffolo. The reality TV star turned author has just released the latest instalment in her series of romantic novels, Meet Me in Hawaii. Georgia, or Toff as she's known, told me all about what drew her to writing about romance and how much of what she writes is drawn from her own experiences. We also spoke about heartbreak, in addition to how Toff has navigated dating in the public eye, and what it was like to go through the trials and tribulations of romance on screen when she was in Maiden Chelsea. Enjoy the show! Anyway, maybe hope's on the horizon with that. But I don't know whether you'll agree with me, but I feel like things have taken a turn where we're feeling a little bit more positive and light is on the horizon. I don't want to get too excited because the government will probably do a job on us again and we'll be back in another lockdown. I know. But I am to get a bit excited. Um, so, no, I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm also feeling like it's going to, things are going to improve. I mean, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be May. So, we will have had some restrictions lift by that point. Hopefully restaurants oh, will be open. Piss ups um, in the park. Yeah, exactly. Maybe even piss up in a pub. <laughs> I know, it, I can't remember what it feels like to go to a pub. Every time I walk past one, I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's so annoying. Um, so you are probably best known for being a TV star, uh, but today I'm really excited to talk to you about your new venture, it's still fairly new, which is romantic novel writing. Uh, so perhaps you could start us off by explaining why it was that you wanted to write fiction and specifically what drew you to writing about romance. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I, I feel as though I've just been proving a point my whole kind of career because I, of course, fell into reality TV when I was kind of 18, 19 and I had the most amazing luck, really. I did Made in Chelsea, then went off to the jungle, but the personal kind of hobby and love has always been writing for me. Um, when I was younger, it was more like satirical, satirical diary stuff. And then I started writing a bit about current affairs when I first joined Maiden Chelsea, which is really weird. And it's always just been very personal to me, my writing thing. And I knew that I wanted to try my hand at fiction, but I never quite had the confidence to do it. Nor the time, actually, as well, because after I won The Jungle, my life just was an insane, crazy roller coaster, which I'm forever grateful for. But the time wasn't there. 
And I started writing, I was on holiday about two years ago, and I just thought, sod it, if you want to write fiction, see if you can do it. And I wrote about 10,000 words, and I noticed that throughout the 10,000, as it went on, I was just leaning towards romantic fiction. I thought, that's funny, isn't it? Because I thought it was always, my escapism has always been that. That's what I love reading. It's what I enjoy. And I then went to um, a really good friend of mine's book launch. And there was a lady there who's really high up at Mills and Boone. And I just thought, you've got to go over and speak to her. Like, if you feel like this is something that you want to do, go over and have a chat. And she was like, well, why don't we have a meeting? And a year later, I somehow got this book deal over the line. And it's just been the most amazing experience. I'm still in the like, you'll be in this phase as well. It's the pinch me moment. It's like, am I good enough? Is this happening? Um, and it's also like writing for me has just always been, I don't know why, it's been a secretive thing that I haven't wanted to share. And I, it's not imposter syndrome, but you just want people to bloody love your writing. Um, so that's kind of where I've been with the journey with the books mm. so far. Yeah, I totally understand that. I mean, like you said, I'll, when this comes out, I'll be like two months away from my book coming out. At the moment, all I want to do, like the thought of seeing a physical copy of my book actually makes me want to vomit aggressively. <laughs> like it's oh, so much. No. <laughs> it's the most amazing. I've got goosebumps thinking about when I, because my first, my first book in the series came out last October. And when I have my hands on Meet Me in London, I cannot explain the elation because you know how much goes into writing a book. And I mean, I've got to say, I've been so fortunate to have a co-author with each one of them and what a clever thing it is that Mills and Boone did because my confidence just wasn't there and I'm not going to sit here and be like I'm going to write the third and the fourth on my own because I am having co-authors but with the first I needed that but when you hold that copy and it's got your name on it and you're like oh my god <laughs> it's amazing so exciting and also I mean it was so incredibly successful it was a it was a Sunday Times bestseller so like huge congratulations I mean you took such a jump like in such a risk by doing that and it seems to have really paid off so that's really wonderful um so tell me a bit about the plot of your new book Meet Me in Hawaii and how you came to think about it and you know I guess how how you think about plotting these novels in general when you um you know when you come to think of the main romantic storylines it's an enormous thing and it's all in the planning with my books because it's a quartet so there of course there are four but I was so rigid on the fact that they could be read out of sequence so there's a hell of a lot of planning with storylines um so that all started and I wanted it to be, I mean, I had an autobiography that came out at the beginning of 2018, which, you know, whatever, it was, it was fine, it was good. Um, but with this, I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be really personal, but of course it is fiction. So I'll just do a really brief kind of top line of the crux of the whole four books. So it's about four girls from Devon, um, and I'm from Devon, and they're insanely close. They are, yeah, best friends forever. And there is an accident. Um, they have been their late teens on their way to their end of school prom and two of the girls have life-changing injuries so the first book was centered around Victoria who uh I won't give the game away but she falls in love with a very handsome Englishman very successful man um and they have a fairy tale however Victoria struggles a lot with her infertility which was a byproduct of the accident that happened so that's book one and then book two is what, what is 
already out when this podcast comes out is Meet Me in Hawaii, and it follows the story of Mali, who escaped with no injuries. However, we all know that if you were in a, oh God, I can't imagine being involved in a horrible accident like they were, but the emotional scars are very deep for Mali. And she is the most multidimensional, amazing female protagonist who, I mean, she's just a proper hero. I mean, she's a tomboy, so not like me at all. I'm the girliest girl. She's such a beautiful, cute little face. She's tiny, she's small, but she's mighty. She loves surfing and takes herself off to Hawaii to live with her godfather because there are a lot of things going on back in Devon that she couldn't quite come to terms with. So I was very set on the storyline for my females. They had to be very strong women. And it was quite tricky for me to get this across right from the get-go. So from chapter one, you see Mally rescuing this big strapping lad who's got himself into difficulty um, out in the sea on the coast of Hawaii. And I thought it was quite a good way to set the bar from chapter one. Females can be as strong, if not stronger than men, and we are very important. I thought it was a good tone setter right from the get-go. So it's just a story about, um, it's just the most enchanting love story with, I mean, you can imagine writing about Hawaii. I mean, it doesn't get more enchanting than that um, with, with a really beautiful backdrop. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just been really special for it to all to come together finally. Yeah, I think it's exactly the kind of escapism that people need right now. And, you know, you do always find that in romantic fiction. But like you said, it's so lovely and refreshing to have a female heroine who is really empowered and really strong, but isn't defined by her relationships. You know, traditionally, romantic novels, the female heroine, you know, we had, there's a long history of female, strong female heroines in fiction, but they are typically always defined by their male suitors. <laughs> and that's such a big part of their um, characterization because they are often men, because of course, all of the traditional love stories are always straight love stories. So it's, it's a real, um, it's a real issue. And it's so lovely to see books like yours coming out and really kind of addressing that balance. Yeah, and I really, it was important to me to challenge that with my series because I don't know why Mills and Boone have this sort of, when people hear about Mills and Boone, it's always that a woman is swimming over a man and then if the man says yes, she's happy in the end and that's the ending. It's really not like that. Mills and Boone are written for the modern women, woman and written by a modern female, someone like me. Like that is not the vibe with my books. And it was really important that it wasn't that way. I mean, to be honest with you, Mally, she doesn't want to go with, he's called Todd Masters, very, very handsome, very kind man. And she's just like, leave me alone. I'm independent. I don't need you. And I love that it's that way around throughout this book. I think it's really important that it was written that way. Mm. How did you come up with kind of the central premise of the accident? I mean, that's such a lovely kind of central focus, I think, for the four books that lends itself really nicely to this kind of quartet. How did you kind of come up with that? And how did you where did you draw from for those kind of four female leads? Yeah, it was interesting because as I mentioned, so I have got co-authors for all the books and we had this amazing brainstorming meeting that went on for hours at HarperCollins, such a long time ago now, two, two years ago. And we all got in the room and I was like, we need something major to tie everyone together. That is also the reason for us making sure that we're inclusive and diverse. And there's lots of topics that we are addressing in these books that needed to be addressed. But I was like, what is it? What is this major thing? And we all, we sounded so many different ideas, but the accident for me, it was important because it, it meant that I could address lots of different 
negativities that might be nagging with my fame, my four main heroines. So we all came to it together, really, which has been it's been the most collaborative process. So it's lovely that it's not just been all coming from my head. Yeah. Quite frankly, going into this, I didn't know what I was doing. I had, I mean, the the creative meetings with me. I mean, so, feel so bad for my editor. So I come up with these stupid things, and she's just like, it just doesn't fit. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we got to get it in there. But they're very. I mean, I was mentioning to you before we started recording. I've been very blessed with them, with my mm. publisher and my editor. Yeah, it sounds so lovely. I mean, I I really want to go into fiction writing at some point, and I think that the idea of just getting lost in this kind of fantasy world that you've created it just must be such an enriching experience and particularly when you're writing about love yeah it's it's completely endless and that's why I'm so grateful that I've had the capacity I've essentially had four times 80,000 words to hone in on each one of these females everyone gets their moment everyone's story is told but just this time it's Mally's story mm. There's nothing really like, like I said, there's nothing really like getting immersed in like a really lovely romantic story. And obviously, you know, it, it's just fiction, but because the theme of love is kind of so universally relatable, I think anytime we see romantic love depicted in popular culture, whether it's in a book or a film, it's kind of hard not to project yourself and your own experiences into that story, particularly if there are so many things that you identify with. And I know I certainly did this with like the romantic novels and romantic comedies that I watched when I was younger. So I wonder, do you think popular culture and specifically popular culture about romance has shaped the way that you behave and have behaved in relationships as, as you've gotten older? Definitely. I mean, I'm just obsessed with Richard Curtis movies. I mean, that's probably why, <laughs> why I wander around thinking that everyone gets the man in the end and everything's all quite fun. Yeah, I do think I've, I've absorbed it like a sponge and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think... I just, I love the thought of having a romantic fairy tale and happy endings for me is what really, really gets me going. And whether it's just some wild fantasy that I've forever been searching for, that might be the case, but I love living in that fictitious world where, you know, maybe I might get the fairy tale. <laughs> I'd rather live thinking that one day I might and writing in that my characters might. Yeah. Being a realist, re being realistic about everything and thinking, well, actually, that man might be a pig and I might have to leave him, or I might never find my soulmate. You know, it happens. Mm. But I love living in a world, and perhaps it, it is a dream world, but maybe that's why I love romantic fiction so much because I'm able to use it not only as a creative outlet, but I absorb it. That's what I do in my spare time. I like watching soppy movies and books, I like reading books with happy endings. I wonder, has that kind of level of romanticizing the world, has that ever hindered you in romantic relationships because you've kind of always seen the best in people and believed the best in people and then they haven't quite met your expectations as people often don't? Yeah, I think so. However, like I always think about this, I don't know what I've done, but I've been really blessed with like men that I've been with. Yes, I've had quite a few partners that it hasn't worked out with, but I look back very fondly and I've been treated very kindly by men, which is a really wonderful perspective to have, particularly, you know, I'm 26 now. I'm not that young anymore. I've dated quite enough men and I, I have had very good experiences. And I wonder whether I would have a, a real mind shift if I was to have had a poor experience 
and maybe I'm still allowed to romanticize everything because it's kind of gone that way. Even if the relationship hasn't been successful, it's been healthy and there's been love and there's been respect. So maybe, um, God, imagine if I have like a savage dumping, maybe the next set of books would be, <laughs> would, be would be terrible, <laughs> full of hate. <laughs> that's good, that's good. I'm, I'm very pleased for you. It's <laughs> a rarity, isn't it? Yeah, it is actually really surprisingly rare, like particularly, I think, to have a healthy breakdown of a relationship. It's, um, we're so often quick to resort to these kind of dramatic tropes and these kind of toxic um, dynamics that we see in popular culture. Um, you know, I know one of the topics that you touch on in the book is heartbreak. So I suppose it's hard not to address that in any kind of romantic fiction. Um, so I guess, I was going to ask if you drew on your own experiences when you were writing about that at all, but it sounds like you haven't really had that much to go on. But tell me. I've had immense, like, painful heartbreak. Like, the worst kind, when you are mourning the loss of something that you thought was so wonderful and perfect and lifelong. Of course I have had that. But I do separate that. I think heartbreak is something that we all have to come to terms with, because unless you are so fortunate and you meet your soulmate at the age of 14 like you are going to have the heartbreak and I've lived it and it's horrendous that feeling of sickness and you dream about them and you know and you think I mean we've all been there where you genuinely think that feeling of tightness in your chest the feeling of being sick in your tummy is never going to leave you and I remember saying it to my friend you don't understand how I feel this is never going to go away and then one day it does and I think it would be foolish of me to write romance and not A, draw upon my experiences with heartbreak and B, address it in the books. It's an inevitability that we all have to come to grips with. But I do separate the two. I think the way that I perceive men and the way that they've behaved towards me is very separate to mourning the loss of a relationship in my mind. Mm, that's interesting because I think they are if someone behaved, just because someone behaved well, that doesn't mean that you still can't be heartbroken by the fact that a relationship didn't work. Like people don't have to behave abhorrently in order for you to be devastated that a relationship just hasn't worked. There could just be, you know, a, a real incompatibility between two people, just a distance that has formed or, you know, people fall yeah. out of love with each other. It's, it's one for me that I keep on thinking of that I just, it was so awful at the time, but he handled it so well. He basically met someone else that he was like, I really think that I am falling for another person. You know, I'm being honest with you, I think we have to break up because of it. I mean, the heartbreak that I had was so horrific, but I still respect him for the honesty. And also he did come back in six months and begged for forgiveness. So I won in the end, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like he did not behave in a disgraceful way. Mm. I can't. I can't hold a gun in someone's head and say, you've got to stay with me because it makes me happy. I've got to get over it and grow yeah. up and let it die. That's, so, that's such a good position to be in though, in a sense, because it's like you have full clarity on why this person no longer wants to be with you. It's literally completely out of your control. It's not like you've done anything wrong. They've been completely honest with you. And yes, you're still allowed to be incredibly devastated by that, but at least you're not kind of left wondering and questioning and, because I think that's the worst thing, isn't it? When you're like wondering, oh God, what lies have I been told? And 
how do I try to wrap like because I think the brain deals with certainties so much better than uncertainties and it's the uncertainties that leave you kind of spiraling but sometimes certainties are awfully hard to get over but once you've done it you're clear you're on the home straight I think probably imagine if one of my exes is listening to this and they're like god she's so stupid like I played her played her like a fiddle (laughs) when you're in that process of heartbreak what are kind of like do you have like go-to strategies do you have go-to methods because I think you know everyone kind of has these like rituals when you've been when you've had your heart broken so many times it's like okay I now know what to do with myself this is what I should not go out and get drunk every night I should make sure I'm surrounded by friends all the time I should you know try and do all of this have you got like a strategy that has come into place now any tips the strategy is to get looking banging so start working out (laughs) cover up the spots get the roots done and I would try to be healthy however for me it has never worked all I do is slip back into a routine of going out on the piss all the time because I'm just trying to replace something that I've lost because naturally when you're happy with a partner I end up staying in a little bit more but deep down I just love being in like a dirty nightclub down the road like that is who I am as a person so I just slip straight back into that and then starts the cycle of you know loads of binge drinking far too many shots because I'm thinking sod it I've got no one to go home to anyway you know so I stay out and then I get all pissed and then I wake up next morning and then I'm eating all the crap food and it's just a hideous cycle but it is my inevitability that I just I do that and I do that for a few weeks and I think right come on now it's time but then I think not to play it down, but like that period of being completely frivolous and naughty and going out with your friends on like a Monday night when you know you shouldn't be doing that, it actually does ease the pain a bit. And time, I hate the phrase because it's so corny, but time does heal you. It is just a fact. And then you're out of the woods and you're like, right, come on, we've got to clean up the diet and we've got to get moving, you know, all of that. But yeah, that's that's kind of what works for me. God, I yeah. don't have to do that. I don't want to go through that again it's horrible it's so horrible but I think you are right unfortunately it is one of those things that you can agonize and read as many books about how to overcome heartbreak as you want but really the only thing that helps is time and I'm also one of those awful people that super stalks like I cannot help myself and that's not good for anyone yeah I think most people are like that though you know I write about this in the book with like Instagram you can, you can block someone all you want. You can block their friends. You can block their family. There is nothing to stop you getting another account and looking and seeing what they're doing and watching their stories through a secret account. Like, everyone does that. It's just, do it. It's just it's, it's impossible not to. Like, it's what these apps are designed for. They know what they've done to us. <laughs> it's, it's impossible. Um, I want to talk to you a bit about dating in the public eye because I think it's, it's an incredibly difficult thing anyway but I'm interested by your experience because you've had such an interesting kind of evolution like your first tv appearance you know you you said you're 18 19 on Made in Chelsea and then you know you're 26 now and since then you've gone on many other shows including winning I'm a Celebrity your platform because of that has obviously grown exponentially so I wonder how that kind of changing degree of exposure has impacted the way that you date and how easy or difficult as I suspect that has been for you yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I've really grown with so sort of like fame, I hate the word, but it's true. So that's kind of kind of gone up, like up and up and up and up and up. And I've had to change my way of thinking about men um as it's increased because there was a period sort of just pre-jungle where I know 
that there were certain men that were coming up to me and approaching me because I was on Bathing Chelsea and they wanted to be on it, which is just oh, so really? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Like, yes, there were so many people that were dying to go on the show at that point. And maybe I was a little bit naive, but whatever, it worked for me. If a man came up to me now, I would know within probably 20 seconds whether he was talking to me because of I am Toff on the telly or whether I am Georgia Toffolo, who's just like a normal girl who mm. loves bit of romance and okay. here's what I know what are the kind of giveaway signs for a guy like who just wants to talk to you because you're 12 off the telly which is such a great phrase by the way yeah. <laughs> it's like, true. they're like overly thrilled to be in your company like no one is that excited to meet someone that they that apparently they don't know so yeah. it's just like they're, they're always a bit like oh hi how are you like can I buy you a drink and blah, blah 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 and it's not a guy coming on to you it's such a different feeling and I just be like it's so obvious that one there'll be a group of guys out eight of them someone said oh that's top she's on that show and then he's been like oh I'm gonna go over there and try and get a number it's just like so transparent so that's a big one going back to your question I've had to realistically date men that have a deep understanding of the industry like not reality tv not i'm a celeb not the jungle but they've got to understand that i've got to behave in a certain way and we can't do things that perhaps would be seen to be negative or they've got to be fully signed up to my world and so far so good it just makes things easier you know if i'm like oh i'm off grid all day because i'm doing press for my book or i'm doing i'm going off to film something up in wherever i've got to miss your birthday you can't then have a man that's just like, oh, well, why are you missing my birthday? You need someone that's just like, oh, great, go do your thing. You sit around at home and have a cup of tea at 11 o'clock most days. So go and do your thing and be supportive. That's the one thing that I found is that, I mean, I, if I'm completely honest with you, I've really changed um, sort of how I discuss my romantic personal life in the public domain because I'm so scared of getting hurt and it being dragged through newspapers. Um, so that's just me being brutally honest. And I also really hate how every single interview I do is obsessive as to who my partner is. Now, why is that relevant? Like, I'm not sat here being a raging feminist, but it really rubs me up the right, the wrong way. And I don't know why there's such emphasis placed on men being with someone like me. Like, surely I've, I've worked so hard to be who I am. And I hope that I produce some really amazing things that I'm proud of. It's like, why is always the first question, like, why don't you put your boyfriend on social media? It's like, well, how, why don't you ask me anything else about my life? And it's verging mm. on obsessive, that it's also seemed to be like, I'm doing something wrong by not publicly parading my partner around when he might not want that. And what if he dumps me? And then it's like, everyone knows. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> like dating, dating is already like, it's fucking horrible it can be so hard and going through heartbreak and when someone fucks up and but imagine I can't imagine what it would feel like to have all of that play out in the tabloids and not only have it play out in the tabloids but probably be lies and probably be fabrications that are kind of like you said designed to make the woman look bad because unfortunately we do live in a world where you know a lot of a lot of this tabloid culture is fueled by sexism so it's and it, like you said it's incredibly demeaning to be constantly asked about your personal life if it has like when it has nothing to do with the thing that you're there to talk about absolutely zero connection the one thing 
I wonder whether I have used my writing because I, I, okay, you probably, someone like me wouldn't be in my position if they weren't quite public. Like, I don't mind putting myself out there. And I, I am very self-aware in that respect. And I wonder whether I have used, because I am such a hopeless romantic, I've used my romantic fiction to shout from the rooftops in a really roundabout way without hurting myself or anyone close to me. And that mm. goes to say, not just, you know, my partner or whatever, um, it's, you know, my family. I don't want to talk about them. It's not their gig. Like I've made this decision to lead a life where I have got press intrusion, which is by the way, a wonderful thing because it means that I can bring coverage to things that I care about and cause it's, it's amazing, but you've got to draw the line. I think if I want to do what I do long-term, which I really do, I've got to keep a little bit back for me. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The way that I've kind of dealt with it, obviously I'm not in the public eye, but I do talk about my personal life and I have talked about my personal life on this podcast a lot and I do it in the book. The way I kind of see it is that I will never talk about a, a situation that I am currently going through because that's not what I want to do because obviously I, because first, first of all, I won't have a proper understanding of that situation until it's, un, unless it's in retrospect, you know, like you can never process something as you're going through it. And I would never talk about a partner really who I'm like currently dating because also it's incredibly disrespectful to them. But and like you said, you know, they didn't sign up for that. <laughs> um, but I just think it's you just have a better understanding of all of this stuff when you talk about it in the past and you just have to be so careful. You know, if you are an open person like you are, like I am, you have to be so hyper aware that just because you're like that, the person who is in your life might not be like that. And so you have to be very careful about the way that you talk about these things. You really do. And at the same time, it's amazing that we can draw from personal experience to be creative. And like, that's an amazing thing, but I think you've got to have control. Like you said, how clever of you, drawing upon your experience, but just leaving it a bit. And then you've got amazing objectivity to actually analyze it and be like, God, did I think the right thing? Was I behaving the right way? And mm. I think it can be quite cathartic. Maybe we're very lucky to have some creative outlet to be able to do that. Yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely. Have there been any particular incidents in the press where you've seen like a story kind of inaccurately reported or like something really nasty about your love life that, you know, how, I'm sure you have, but my question, I guess, is how do you deal with that? And how do you kind of rationalize that the pain you're going through is being splashed across the kind of public consumption in a way that is incredibly seedy and 
it's kind of like entertainment fodder that completely I imagine belittles the real pain that you might be experiencing yeah it's what I really struggle with is inaccurate reporting I love facts like I can live with my life if they wrote what was true I can live with that but it's just it's so fictitious most of it and the way that I have remedied it is by putting a massive wall up and guarding that's part of my life because if I never comment on it publicly if I never confirm anything it is true speculation then mm. so that's how I sort of make a difference and I make it in my mind it all makes sense that mm. is a load of rubbish this is what is real and those are two separate things mm. and do you do you have like conversations with people that you date and just kind of establish okay this is what's going to happen there might be these stories in the public eye and do you have do you kind of have to like be really forthcoming early on with all of that yeah it's horrendous like 10 days two weeks in because what if what if it's like a real shock for them for me it's not a shock at all and by the way you can get away with dating secretly for ages but sometimes you get caught out and it will be unfair of me not to warn that person what they're signing up to but how like imagine being in that position where you've just met a man that you really like god knows whether he likes me as much as i like him and i'm having to bring up something that it might be part of the future but it might not and it already it puts you on the back foot already but you've got i mean they're not stupid surely they would know that something might come out but i have to verbally say it because mm. i don't want to be blamed for i don't know people losing a job over something i don't know like if we were nipping out like naughtily when someone should have been at work or you've got to be super aware of these things and it's it's the only negative of what i do everything else i feel it's a real yeah. privilege that I do and it's overwhelmingly positive but it is something to be mindful of when I'm fully signed up you know <laughs> but not everyone mm. is yeah it's just so interesting because it's such a it's become like talking about celebrity relationships in the public eye it's become it's such a dehumanizing thing and it completely detracts from you know there's a real human being going through that very pain that is being used to make you laugh over your morning coffee or just make you feel like it's gossip it's just stuff a clickbait most of it yeah it, it's quite scary but it is what sells newspapers like yeah it's, really that's, in that's the thing it's like it's it's kind of chicken chicken and egg you know it's like that's what people want to write about because they know that that's what people want to read about you know it's no secret that the most read website is the mail online which is probably you know i'm not going to say anything that's going to get me in trouble but it's, it's it's full of those kind of stories, isn't it? I know, and if I'm completely honest, I check the men online once a day, so I am feeding into that. Well, there you <laughs> go. Critical, like yeah, you know, I click on it. <laughs> yeah, it's impossible to avoid. Um, I know you've spoken a bit before about how people have lots of like preconceptions about you before they meet you. Um, and I know you you've spoken about that not just in a romantic context, but. Have you ever kind of encountered that in terms of people have seen you on the TV and they've they've got a really firm idea of who they think you are and how have you reacted to that, I guess? So, I mean, the first thing is my surname. I mean, my nickname Toff just, I mean, without me even opening my mouth is just horrendous. So that's something that I've had to navigate. Um, I mean, the, the big thing that like really frustrates me is that I really love current affairs and I love being vocal about anything that gets people engaging in politics. Like, I don't care whether you're right wing, left wing, floating voter, as long as you're talking. And because I have behaved in that way, 
I am, I mean, today I've done loads of interviews and twice I've been asked about being described as Boris in a bikini. And it's just like, oh my God, <laughs> why do you, why is that comparison made about me? Because I've spoken about anything that's remotely intellectual, by the way. It's not heavy stuff. You know, I've just said like, there's voter apathy amongst the young. Go out and register to vote. Go and tell the middle-aged, middle-class men of Westminster why they are not representing you. And then suddenly I'm Boris in a bikini. So it does Obviously the trick. That is such a sexist description of someone. What, like, obviously a bikini, what, so you're semi-naked as well? Yes, but of course, but I couldn't possibly be prancing around on a TV show in a bikini, but also want to talk about politics at the same time. That's not allowed, of course. Oh. Um, but it does, yeah, that side of thing. I feel like I've just been on a quest for the past like eight years to prove, pe to prove to people that you can be like a vacuous showbiz celebrity, but there are other sides to you. And you might want to talk about something that might be different to just filming TV shows, which by the way, is my bread and butter. It's what I love doing. It's what I'm good at. Mm. But I might want to talk about something that might be seen to be a little bit serious. Um, so yeah, I do like, I want to prove to people that I'm, I can be multidimensional. I feel like I'm still on this quest and, you know, the books have helped me kind of establish myself in a more serious way. But I also don't want to be seen. I want to be both. I want to be everything. I just want to be who I am. Yeah, that kind of feeds into the way that society just pigeonholes women, though, doesn't it? I feel like that's not something that men in the public eye have to deal with to a degree. It's like women aren't allowed to be seen as doing multiple different things and dipping their toes into other avenues you know what you just described it's kind of the perfect depiction of like oh you know like Scarlett Curtis's book feminists don't wear pink you know it's like that kind of dichotomy can't exist yeah. um and we do see it perpetuated all the time I want to ask you a bit about Made in Chelsea um I know you haven't been on the show for a while and I know but it is it's obviously where you started on TV and I think the reason I want to ask you about it is because obviously it a lot of it is about relationships and I know that the show is structured and not everything is you know necessarily exactly how it plays out in real life but there are some things that that happen on that show that I suspect are actually really difficult personal things to go through and then to have to film it must be incredibly difficult so I'm thinking of like one specific part uh, where you were dating this guy called Sam Prince and uh, he told you that he had slept with someone else in your own bed and this was on the show so I mean obviously that's obviously despicable but it, and you know it seems like kind of funny but it's not funny I mean how on earth do you deal with that? But remember I've got a normal amount of perspective because that was like five years ago so I'm laughing about it now at the time completely mortifying of course and to live that embarrassment and they are very clever. Like I didn't have any inkling that that had happened. So I really am told with my microphone on and the cameras pointing at me. I mean, it is quite mind blowing. I mean, that was quite a bad one. There was a situation with Francis, like there's always one that sticks out in my mind. Francis Bull and Liv Bentley, and they like ran off together behind my back and it really, really threw me. And I think the big element with that was the embarrassment. And I didn't want people to know that that happened. And then lo and behold, quite interesting, this is the good thing about Made in Chelsea. It's one of the things that I do love about it. Six weeks later, it was put on the television and I was dreading it for six weeks because I thought it was just fucking like so embarrassing. How could that happen to me? 
and the tweets and the Instagrams that I got about it, the level of support, because quite frankly, everyone has been done the dirty on. And we have all had that where someone's been duplicitous and I'm not blaming it on either person because it really was both of them. And just for, I think, other women and men to see that it's not just them. Actually, do you know what? It happens to top on the telly, it's fine. And it made me rationalise the whole thing. I was like, do you know what? I'm not mad. Yes, it's okay to be sad. Yes, it's okay to be humiliated because quite frankly, it's being broadcast to like millions of people. So of course that is okay. That's a normal emotion. It's also okay to be sad, but get over yourself because it happens to everyone. Mm. So you and Francis were dating at the time and, and he was secretly seeing Liv. That's what happened. Yeah, I mean, it was so long ago now. I can't believe, like, we're all really good friends. It really doesn't yeah. matter. But yeah, we were we were living down the South Front. So like, that is what happened. And there was this big dramatic scene where he, like, chose Liv over me. And I was just like, oh, my God, it was so bad. Oh, God. How do you deal when you... Because obviously you're experiencing that and it's horrible. But are you also kind of experiencing the horror of, oh, everyone's now going to see this? Mm. And are you are you kind of thinking about that as you're experiencing it? Are you like, oh, God, this is horrible. And there's that extra level of humiliation because you know that eventually everyone's going to see it. Or are you kind of just, do you just numb it out after you've been on the show for a while? No, I didn't really. Because you know the two scenarios that, you've, that we've spoken about, those are really... I mean, I went on a couple of dates with Richard Dynan. Apart from that, because I was the horror of the embarrassment and the heartbreak, I really put my foot down and didn't get involved with men on camera mm. because I protect myself. And I wonder whether, I probably shouldn't say this, but I wonder whether it's why I was on the show for so long because I, I didn't, I didn't dumb myself down. I didn't just go on a date with someone for the sake of it. You know, there was no one that I was in love with on that show. Mm. Yeah, the horror, the humiliation of a man that I quite liked going off with someone else, fine. But I never went through what some of the girls went through on that show, which is deeply distressing, immensely public breakups with a man that they'd been with for a very long time. And that I never lived. And I, to this day, I'm really grateful that I didn't because I can't imagine the the toll it must have taken on their mental health because you're not processing a breakup you're processing backstabbing you're processing the humiliation again everything is so immensely public and you're not with the with the scenarios we've spoken about it was just touching the surface yeah you know, I truly loved it was ever on that program well because that's what I was going to say to you like considering you know most most of the women on Made in Chelsea they, like you said, they have gone through these horrific heartbreaks on camera. And actually considering, you know, I, I was looking for things, relationship storylines for you on the show and there really weren't that many. And like you said, it's, I think I think that's really clever because not only does it lend itself to longevity, but for your own mental health, because it, like it's people, again, it's, it goes back to seeing relationships in the tabloids. And I think with these structured reality shows, it's so easy to forget that these are very real experiences that human beings are going through. and. And, but, you know, I'm pleased that you had that social media reaction after the Sam Prince thing, because I can imagine that can be incredibly validating and you can feel this kind of rallying of support behind you. Um, but you don't know how you'll be portrayed in that situation. You have no idea. They can do a lot in the edit. You never know. Because you might thought you could come out top dog, but then you don't. <laughs> It's time for our Lessons in Love segment. So this is the part of the show where I ask every guest to share something that they have learned from their previous relationship experiences. So Toph, what is your lesson in love for us today? Can I have two? 
Yeah, of course. The first one, it's rather minor, but I think it's important. So find someone who enjoys listening to the same radio station as you, because I'm a Radio 4 girl. And so any potential suitors must kind of engage with, you know, the Archers, Women's Hour. So that's quite important to have a chance and actually prevents arguments long term. So that's just a silly top line one. The other one. I love that. Can I just say, I love that. And I think that is not silly at all, because one of my favourite <laughs> things to do on a Sunday morning and, you know, if you're in a long term relationship, those Sunday mornings, those rituals become very important uh, is to listen to Steve Wright's Sunday Love Songs on BBC Radio 2. I love Steve Wright. It's so good. And I always and because I love it because they play great songs. But then you also listen to these amazing messages that people send to their loved ones. And they're so sweet. And it'll be like, you know, oh, I just wanted to tell my wife on our 15th anniversary how much I love you. And, you know, I've left a cup of tea for you in the kitchen. And they're just so sweet. So I want to be able to listen to that with someone. If no one wants to listen to that, then they are definitely not right for me. Anyway, continue. <laughs> Same, you know, music parents. If they don't like ABBA, they're not going to be my boyfriend. Like, it's not going to work. So that's that. Now, on a more serious note, I would say, now I'm very biased with this because I love intelligence. I think it is so incredibly sexy to be clever. And it makes up for the lack of a six pack. Um, which I find a total turn off anyway, because they spend too much time in the gym. But on top of all of this, I think the only character trait that I've found that can trump everything, including intelligence, sexiness, all of those things, is kindness. And I think you know whether you're with a kind man or not. And if you're not with a kind man, rip the Band-Aid off and get grooving quick, because if you're going to have a long, wonderful relationship with someone, they're not kind. I don't really see the point in being in it in the long run because lots of the other things come and go. Mm, yeah, I completely agree. I think that's so important. Kindness is absolutely, I think, the most important quality that you can have in a partner. But it's it's hard to... Sometimes they cheat and they lie. Oh, well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then you never know. Wolf in sheep's clothing. So you've got to be, you've got to be careful. So I'd say be savvy as well. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be. I've got to be I think trust your instincts like if you if you if you get an inkling that someone you're with is not the person they purport themselves to be then just trust yourself because you don't necessarily you can't necessarily trust someone else you know always have that niggling feeling never ignore it always mm. work that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're a new listener to this show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or anywhere else. You can comment and leave us a rating too so that more people can find us. Keep up with everything to do with the show on Instagram. Just search Millennial Love. See you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.